Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, we're going to finish up our Book of James series this morning as we look at the second part of perseverance and prayer. Now, speaking of prayer, there was a church member that sought out their pastor after a sermon as some people do, they make a beeline for the pastor. They've got to share something with them. So this person made a beeline for the pastor and said, Pastor, please, I beg you, please pray for my hearing. Well, that preacher said, I'll be glad to. He put his hands on that parishioner and just said the most powerful, sweetest prayers, putting while his hands are on their ears and, oh, dear Heavenly Father, heal him. Just, I mean, like two or three minutes. I mean, he... Just went on and on and on. One of the most beautiful prayers you've ever heard. And then uh, after he finished, the preacher said, well, how's your hearing now? And the person said, well, it's still the same. I mean, I'm not going to have it until next week. So some of you, if you didn't get it, maybe your neighbor will explain it to you. The purpose of that is, is that sometimes when we pray, we wonder if God is hearing the correct context. Sometimes we wonder if if our prayers are even reaching the ceiling, let alone God's ears. But I'm telling you, I know from experience, I know from how he's answered, and I know how I've seen him work in your life that God does hear your prayers. You see, isn't it great to know that even though others may not understand what we're asking at times, God knows your heart. God knows your heart today. And he knows what you're going to ask even before you ask it. The Bible says even when there are times where all we can do is grunt and groan, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf and translates those utterings to God's ears. The thing is, is that as we look at prayer, prayer is the glue that holds our faith together. Prayer is the glue that holds our faith together. And we're going to see this in James's writings. You see, prayer is the glue that holds our faith together, and it strengthens the tether, the, the cord, the tether. You ever played tetherball before? You know what tetherball is? They've got the, the pole that's in the ground, and they've got the volleyball tied on the string, and you hit it around, and uh, it's... It, it's actually pretty fun if you've never played it. You ought to try it sometime. Except that one person that likes to hit it and make it go around five times. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that that tether keeps that ball to that pole, and that's why you have a game. The prayer keeps us tethered to God's heart. And living apart from prayer is to live a life full of self-struggle, stress, and confusion. How do I know that? Because I've had times in my life where prayer was not a strong suit. Of mine. And usually in those days when I'm not praying, I'm stressing. And when I'm stressing, I'm not praying. That doesn't mean that when I'm praying that there's no anxiety there. There is, but at least when you're praying, there's a way to deal with it. There's a way of saying, and I don't know if you've ever gotten the release from this, but when you say something like, God, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. It's got to be you now. Where you just hand over the reins. It's scary, but it's also liberating at the very same time. And James has laid out some great tools for success in our Christian living in this book. However, they must be integrated and undergirded with prayer. 
It's okay to control your tongue. It's okay to be able to serve others. It's okay to be a doer of God's word. But the only way you're going to be able to do it is not in your own strength, but in God's strength. And that has to come through prayer and perseverance. Because prayer fuels our perseverance. Prayer actually fuels our perseverance. Let's look at chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 in the book of James. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. And it says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call on the elders of the church to come pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins... You will be forgiven. I think it's important as we read this and we go back to the context in which it was written. It was believed back then that if you were sick, if you had some type of of deathly disease, most people thought it was either A, you were a bad person and did some kind of sin, or B, somebody in your family at some point did some type of sin and it has been carried down through the family. So here James is saying, no, that's not it. That all of us have the opportunity to pray. All of us have the opportunity for healing. But here's what we see in verse 13, folks, is that hardship and happiness go hand in hand. Hardship and happiness go hand in hand. One of my greatest influences and mentors in the Christian faith was a seminary professor that I had in uh, New Orleans for just one week, one week workshop. Now, I still listen to his podcast, his sermons and his books, and uh, he has gone on to be with the Lord. But there was never a person that could preach any more than him to where I felt like he was just taking these pages and putting me right in the middle of it. It was absolutely beautiful. And the thing is, is that he had a, a very charmed life, but a very hard life as well. And he wrote, he wrote a book on this, and this is a saying. And I want to show it to you. It says, good and evil run on parallel tracks and often arrive at the same time. And again, as I said, and usually arrive at the same time. The thing is, is that our lives are filled with good and bad. It depends on how we look at it. It depends on the fact that if one day we're having a good day, maybe we're focusing on the good things. When we have a bad day, we're focusing on the bad things. And and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you are going to have bad days. Some of you are walking in bad days. Some of you are walking in good days. But if you look at it, good and bad usually travel on parallel tracks and they arrive at the same time. If you don't want to believe it, look around. 2020 is a great illustration of that, is not? I mean, my goodness. If there was ever a year that we could ever forget, I, you know, I would hope that this would be the year. That's like somebody was saying when we're supposed to put our clocks back an hour coming up uh, on, uh, I think, October 31st or something like that. People are saying, I don't want an extra hour of 2020. You know, we just want to move on. But the thing is, is as we look at 2020, in one aspect, we have seen God sustaining us in the midst of this pandemic. I mean, we're able to worship together today, are we not? And we have seen pure evil and violence as well. God has proven himself to be faithful, though, and he has done this exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we could ever hope for or imagine. But if nothing else, if nothing else, folks, today, 
right now, no matter what your age is, you are here today and you have been given one more breath in your lungs. You have been given one more beat of your heart to pump the blood through your body. You have got one more chance to live for the Lord. Yes, you will have good days, but you will have trying days as well. And some days of your faith will flourish and other days you will flounder. Some days you will struggle, but other days you will be strengthened. And yes, good and evil run on parallel tracks and they often arrive at the same time. But to persevere in faith, James remind you and I to dig in to wherever we're at, whether we are happy or whether we are suffering. You know, here's a question I have for you. And maybe you found it true in your life. I found it true in mine. Why is it easier to pray in hardship than in happiness? You ever thought about that? Why is it easier to pray in hardship rather than happiness? Well, point blank, in hardship, we need help, right? In happiness, we don't feel like we need help. We are on top of the world. But it's kind of like the old mountain illustration is that when you're up on the mountain, the view is great. But there's nothing that grows on the top of the mountain. All the all the nutrients and the things that grow are down in the valley. And that's what God does is he puts us in the valley. He grows us. And when we can't take any more in his time, he brings us to a mountaintop and then we go back down again. It's, it's amazing how God works that out. But happiness fills our lives with ourselves. Think about this. When we are happy, we've got the world by the tail. We are are self-sufficient. We are good. Do we take time in the midst of our happiness to thank God and depend on God for that happiness. I would like to say we all do that, and, and, and we all do to some degree, but, boy, when we're going through a hardship, we, we plow the line, don't we? We, we? we wear the prayer mats off. We, we wear the holes in the prayer mats. But here's the thing. If you praise God in the good weather, you can praise him in the storm because he's in both. And he says in here that, you know, you need to pray and you need to actually sing. Singing is important. That's why it drives me nuts that we ask you to not sing while we're doing music in church. It's just not right. Maybe we're being unbiblical. I don't know. No, we're not being unbiblical. But the thing is, is that we're being responsible. But I know in my heart that when we sing, my heart is singing and, and I... You know, especially when I get in my car, I can sing all I want. Y'all don't need to hear it. But the thing is, is that we see in here, in this passage, that sickness affects everyone. Those who believe in Jesus will get sick, just like those who don't believe in Jesus. Everyone gets sick. Everyone dies. Everyone grieves. And everyone feels bad. And this is due to the curse of sin and death. But notice James gives the church's instructions on how to handle sickness. It says it right here in the scripture that when someone is sick, it says to call the elders of the church to pray. Anoint with oil. Anointing with oil had two purposes. Number one, it had a spiritual significance, but it also had a medical, medicinal purpose as well. People were anointed with oil when they had wounds. But also, priests would anoint people when they would be selected to serve God. That's the whole imagery of when Jesus' feet were anointed by the woman with the expensive perfume. 
Not long before his crucifixion, she was preparing his body by wiping his feet with her expensive perfume with her hair. We need to have room for spiritual healing and spiritual work in our health, but we also need to make room for medicine as well. Jesus himself talked about that lady that poured oil on his feet and said, She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. See, it was so much more significant than just an act of her doing something to appreciate Jesus. She was actually preparing him for what was to come. And we see in this passage that members of Jesus' church should not be alone. Folks, if you are unwilling to pray for and bear the burdens of others in the church, then you should reconsider your role in it. And I'm not just talking about Homeland Park Baptist Church. We would all be glad to love on. That's the good old Baptist thing in the South. We'll love on you if you come to the church. We're going to love on you. But that church down the street, we don't love on them. You heard what they got going on down there? You heard about that church over on the other side of town? We ain't going to love on them either. We can't do that. We've got to love on everybody. The church is not just this denomination, this district, this building. The church is worldwide, folks. And notice that James is telling us that we need to feel their pain. We need to heal and we need to help when we can. And the thing is, is that we can pray for one another's. Something as simple as the shoe boxes that we're starting to collect. We have shoe boxes right over here on both sides. And if you want to put together a shoe box to go across all of the world, it will go to places that have not heard about Jesus before. And you living right here in Anderson, South Carolina, attending good old Homeland Park Baptist Church, can encourage the church all around the world by doing something small like that, whether it be giving to the cooperative program, whether it be doing a mission project, whether it be praying for them. As a believer, you're never alone. You have Jesus and you have the church. The second thing is that we need to persevere by praying with belief. We need to persevere by praying with belief. I've been guilty of this where I say, oh, Lord, please do this. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that would never happen. You ever been guilty of that? Or maybe it's just me. Where you pray, say, I'm going to pray it because the Bible tells me to. Jesus tells me to ask because I'm going to do it. But I doubt because I I can't see this happening. And we have just shot ourselves in the foot when when we do that, don't we? When we say, I'll pray for this, but eh, it probably ain't going to happen. You know, Jesus said, look, if you pray with doubt, you're probably not going to get it. When we pray, when we are in the middle of it, of whatever it is that we're in the middle of, we're going to persevere when we pray and we believe that God is going to answer. But the thing is, we need to believe He's going to answer, but not put parameters on what that answer is. We don't need to say to God, I want you to do this this way. We need to say, God, I want you to do this in whatever way you feel it needs to be done. Prime example is, is when you're praying for God to save a loved one that is sick. And you pray, and you pray, and you ask, and they end up not turning around, and they end up expiring, and they die. And you say, well, God, I prayed for this, and you said everything I prayed for we'll get. Well, it wasn't what you expected, was it? But it's what God had in store. And God's plan is always for the best, not only for the people we're praying for, but for ourselves as well. James says here in 16 through 18, he says, confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human, as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Folks, I want you to understand this. When we pray, and when we praise, that should lead to confession. And that confession should lead to repentance. Here's the thing is that when we get in church and the Spirit starts convicting us of stuff and we start thinking, man, I really feel bad about this. I should stop this. And, and you know, no one knows that I'm doing this, but I, but I still, I know that it's not right and, and this is not what I should be doing. And then I'm, I, this is not what God wants me to do and I feel convicted about that. But then you start thinking about something else or you pull out your phone and, and you try to think about something else and check your Facebook feed or something like that. And in that, in that moment when the Holy Spirit touched your heart, you ignore it and you avoid confessing because you don't want to own up to whatever that is. And it's only hurting yourself. Because when those things come to the forefront of our mind and God asks us to confess those things and to repent from those things, it is for our good. It is for our family's good. It is for our marriage's good. It is for our church's good. It is for our world's good. But when people fail to confess the sins that the Holy Spirit has confessed them with, that is just one more callous on your heart. One more callous. That the devil has placed on your heart. True healing from sin only comes to confession and repentance. And you will never, you will never be right with God if you are not right with others. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 23 and 24 of chapter 5. It says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Verse 24, as I have on the screen, says, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Here's the thing. If you never confess of your problems, you will never get healed of them. If you never confess, you will never be healed. If you never confess... You will never be delivered. Do not believe the lie that the church is filled with perfect people. Don't act like it either. If your sin has affected you as an individual, if you have affected an individual's life, you need to go and confess that and make that right with that individual. If you have done something to disrupt a church or an organization, you have to go to that organization. If your sin has affected you alone go to God and get get done. I mean, make peace with God in that sin because as long as that is there, you are grieving the Holy Spirit and the fellowship that you have with God will be restricted. That's why he feels like he's a million miles away. It's not God that has left. It is that thing that is between you and him that you refuse to confess and repent of. That is why you don't have perseverance. That is why you don't have power. And that's why your prayers are doing nothing. It's because there is something between you and God that you will not let go of. At least that's what James is saying here. 
And if you need the support of others, ask for it. If you never restore that relationship with that person, it will always come between you and your fellowship with God. Now, here's the thing, though. When you go and you try to reconcile with somebody and you confess and you you offer forgiveness, whether they take it or not is up to them. That's on them and God. But for you and your relationship with God, when God leads you to confess and repent, then that is what God will do for you. That that dam, that restrictor will be lifted and you will know that closer fellowship again. And we have to pray with perseverance. Boy, verse 16, the second half of that is one that people use a lot. Many of you are very familiar with it from the King James Version that says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You've heard that one before. Why do we sell our prayers short by offering them while thinking in the back of the mind that God will not answer them? James gives us Elijah as an example. He prayed for no rain and there was a drought. He prayed for rain and rain fell. And it says in verse 17, did you catch this? It says in verse 17 that Elijah was a human. That means he's just like you and he's just like me. Now, I'm not saying you can pray for rain and when we go out there, it's going to be raining or sun or vice versa. But I do know this, that when you pray, God hears and God will move. And remember this about prayer, folks. Prayer is not a secret access code that entitles you to get your way. You can't pray the right prayer to unlock God's blessings. It's not about the words we use. I I hear people sometimes that that uh, are all about themselves and they're asked to pray and boy they will they will just lay it on you with all the words and you got to pull out a dictionary and a thesaurus to understand what they're saying. And that's okay. Look, if that's what they want to do, that's fine. I'm not judging. But I tell you what, the heartfelt prayers, the ones that are just told in layman's terms, the ones that are saying, God, I am mad. God, I don't understand. God, I love you and I'm going to trust you. God, why is this happening? God, will you be with me? God, will you give me strength? God, will you work in that? Those are the prayers that I love to hear. Those that are just people crying out to God. And that's what God wants to hear. Don't think you have to impress God with your vocabulary. God is the one that gave you that knowledge. God doesn't want your words. He wants your heart. And that's how we pray with perseverance. Praying is not dependent upon your faith. Many people have taken the verse that we just read and they would say, well, if you pray for something and it didn't happen the way you wanted to, then your faith just wasn't strong enough. Whoever said that needs to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into Lake Hartwell. Don't tell, look, prayers are not answered by your faith. Let me say this. Prayers are not answered by your faith. They are answered by God alone. It doesn't matter what strength of faith you have. Whether you have a little bit or a lot, it doesn't matter. Because God is the one answering those. And so if you pray to God and he answers, it's either going to be yes, it's going to be no, or it's going to be wait. Those are the three God answers, and whenever he answers, it is always for the best. Praying in faith is having faith that God will 
do his best. Prayers do not heal. Again, God does. And prayers are part of the healing process. Have you ever thought about the fact of this is that God uses prayers to grow our dependence upon him? After waiting to act, after we have asked. In other words, think about it. The Bible says that God knows our hearts. That God knows what we're going to ask before we even ask it. So some of us will say, well, why do we even need to ask if he already knows? Sometimes you just want to hear it. Those of you that are daddies and mommies, I know you love it when, when the kid comes up to you and says, I love you. Now you know they're getting ready to follow it up but they need something or they want to spend a night at a friend's house or something. But no seriousness, there's those rare occasions where your child will just look at you and you know that they're saying, you know what, I, I love you. You know it, don't you? You know it. I mean, you're supposed to. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're supposed to love me. But it's nice hearing it, isn't it? That's the same thing with God. God knows that we love him. God knows your heart. But sometimes he just likes to hear it. Because I know plenty of people that would say, look, I don't care what my child does. I don't care what my friend does. I'm not going to judge them. I've told people before, people that are in lifestyles that I don't agree with. Look, I'm not going to judge you, but I'm going to tell you what. I hope that if you have a problem, you will at least come and talk to me. Right? Because I want to hear. I want to help. And that's what God says. God says, I know your heart, but I just want to talk to you. Because it is those conversations and in those moments where you grow closer to God. The third thing that we see is that perseverance and prayer brings restoration. Perseverance and prayer brings restoration. Verse 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, You can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. No one is too far from God's forgiveness. I have seen marriages restored, families restored, friends restored, fellowships restored because of prayer and because of God's forgiveness. People who once were evil have been restored to be used by God in mighty ways. We're studying about one of the worst of them on Wednesday night, and that is Paul, who went from killing Christians to sharing Christ and making Christians. God can use you no matter what you've done or where you have been, even where you're at. Here James is called that if someone who has wandered away from the faith, away from the church, away from God, they can be welcomed back with open arms, just like the prodigal son's father. But we are to help those who are needed to be rescued. We need to take the initiative. How do you help somebody that needs to be rescued? Well, you pray for them. You love them, and when I say you love them, you, you prove that with the actions towards them and then encourage them to repent and return to God. My friend, listen to me. You can be known as that friend that loves everybody, but if you are a Christian and you don't minister to and make a priority their spiritual condition, you're no friend at all. You're just another enabler. If we are Christians and we have the right to help people see their ways and God leads us in that direction, we are to do it, not in a judgmental way, 
but in a spiritual way, in a helpful way, and in a loving way. And finally, perseverance in prayer puts action to your faith. Perseverance in prayer puts action to your faith. Living a life in right standing with God is a result of putting action to your faith. As we sang earlier, if we are the body of Christ, as we claim to be, we must live it out day by day. We must persevere, we must pray, and we must live out our faith. So let me just encourage you today, when you pray, don't make your prayer life all about you. I've said this a million times, I'll say it a million and one. Don't make your prayer list a Santa Claus list. God, I want this. God, I want that. Do this, do that. If you do this, I'll be happy. Make your prayer list something that is not focused on only yourself. Pray that God would give you a heart to be right with him and others. And if you're that person out here today that has been praying for something that you have not gotten relief from, release from, or seen happen, it's not that God hasn't heard it. It's just that it's not his time yet. You've got a little bit more growing to do. God's got a little bit more dependence he wants you to work on with him. God's, because I guarantee you, if you're praying for that person, God is working on that person's life. Pray for God to give you a heart to be right with God and others. Keep praying. Keep praising. Keep yourself right before God and others. That's how you will persevere and pray. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the message today. And Lord, I'm just overwhelmed at the number of people that just needed to hear today, including myself, that our prayers are not for naught. That those kids that we're praying for, those adults that we're praying for, the, the world that we're praying for, the politicians that we're praying for, it may seem like it's falling on deaf ears, but Lord, you are working either for our blessings or for our judgment. But you are in control. And the Lord, wherever we, all of us here today are at different points in our life spiritually. And so, dear Heavenly Father, it is my prayer that wherever we are at, that you would speak to us where we are. If there's one person here today that has got something between you and them, themselves, may today be the day that they confess and repent that. Mm-hmm.